tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. There's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, repent. It's Lent. That rhymes. Uh, I couldn't have made a living as a poet, I'm sure. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all right, let's open the... Oh, before we open the big book on the coffee table, I, I, don't forget Father Rocky's Lenten... Uh, Lenten reflect his... Why can't I remember that? Lenten lessons on the liturgy, because he talks about the tabernacle. Which is a uh, uh, um, is a Latin word that means the little house, and it's it's uh, they call it the dwelling in Hebrew, the Mishkan, and uh, that one place where God would meet His people. Father Rocky makes the point; it's all over the world now. So it's just a beautiful thing, and so many of these things. The liturgy ties us to the Old Testament, the New Testament, and everything in between. So listen to Father Rocky's. Uh, reflections, his Lenten lessons on the liturgy. They're really good. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. All right, we got, oh gosh, I, I should have looked that up. I'm sure it's this word, but uh, we, we've got a lot about fasting. Uh, and I want to talk about fasting, but once again, here, this is the one I should have looked up. Um, the, the, um, Low on your fast day. I'm sure that's hine in Hebrew, but let me make sure, just so I'm not whistling Dixie. Hold on. The, uh, again, excellent radio. Yeah, right. All right. Uh, uh, it doesn't. Okay, play play the, the, the what's its music. I don't see uh, low. Uh, it just says lama, which means, hold on. Let me, Lama, no, not Lama, as the voice in my head said. Uh, okay, ah, no, wait, hold on. What am I doing? <laughs> well, at any rate, I get the biggest kick out of that word low. Low on your fast days. When was the last time you actually said low? It means look. That's that's what it means, uh, look. Uh, um, and, well, that's a good thing to do. Look on your fast days. Uh, uh, um you seek me and and delight in all my ways it really doesn't say for what i can uh, uh see it doesn't really say low uh 
it says why, which I think is is useful. So let me just look at this one more. I should have looked at this earlier, but you know that's my problem in life. I always see something shiny. Uh, oh no, that's not it. That's not it. It may be low, but I, I noticed something that's worth talking about anyway. In the midst of it, oh lordy lordy, I I I'm not that focused, am I? But nah. All right. Uh, uh, well, yeah, it's it's it's. It's 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 there, but it means indeed, uh, or or um, it says look. It's 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 hine. It means look, and I'm, they never translate that way. But the word that's interesting me at the moment, uh, the shiny thing I just saw is it says, "Why do we fast?" And you do not see it. That's a good question. Why do we fast? Lama, which is fast in or why in Hebrew. So that that's the question I want to answer today. Why do we fast? And then it says in in the in the seems to say in the first reading, don't bother with it because um, um, on your fast day you carry out your own pursuits and drive all your laborers. And the fasting I want is releasing those bound unjustly and sharing your bread with the hungry. I've heard the social justice crowd, and social justice is a very good thing, but uh, there's a crowd of people who really think that. Oh, let me digress again. <sighs> I'm just too full of digressions. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, which I quote frequently, uh, talks about Christianity and the cause. In other words, the devil wants you to get into hyphenated Christianity, uh, like uh, Christianity and social justice, uh, Christianity and feminism, Christianity and uh, uh, the, 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 the credit union movement. You know, Christianity and a Christian with a difference. And pretty soon, or Christianity and the apocalypse, the voice in my head just said, that pretty soon, you know, that instead of thinking that these things are good because Christ tells us they're good, no, Christ is good because he tells us this thing. It's the, the cause that's important, and Christianity is only relevant to the degree that it's, it supports the cause. That's when you've lost the faith. And I have, you know, I have found that truly traditional Catholics really have a sense of social justice. They're very generous. Uh, um, the soup kitchen that, that I, I uh, was involved with for years, the, 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 uh, the progressive community was much involved with it. But then when they had a fight with me, they stopped uh, uh, working the soup kitchen. Uh, I, I told them the pastor may be an idiot, the pastor being me. The pastor may be an, may be an idiot, but the poor are still hungry. But the, the, the traditional people in the parish just stepped right in, and uh, the soup kitchen continued without, without that crowd. I, it was just an amazing thing. So this, this passage from Isaiah is not a, a, a denial of, of the holiness of fasting and the usefulness of fasting. It's questioning, I believe, why are you fasting? Well, if you're fasting because you think God is really stingy and will only give you what you want if he sees that you're miserable, that's crazy. God is a loving father who gives you what you need. No, that, that fasting is part of the whole ensemble of the Christian. That, that we always tie uh, fasting and almsgiving together as Christians. But still, this is not answering the question, why fast? And I, I want to discuss it from the point of view of exorcisms that, and spiritual warfare. 
You know, you look at Jesus in the Gospels and fully a third of his ministry was casting out demons. It sort of breaks down a third casting out demons, a third working miracles and healing the sick, and a third talking. And in the modern church, people like me, all we can do is talk. We're only, we're only on, uh, you know, it's a three-legged stool that's trying to stay up with one stool. That, that this isn't just about talk, it's about the power of God. And, and fasting has to do with the power of God. Now, it amazed me when I participated in exorcisms. I, as I always tell you, I was never an exorcist. I assisted in exorcisms. So I, I, I don't call me to come and cast demons out if you're a teenager. Um, probably just growing up will help. I remember a woman who came to me and said her son uh, read all these monster comic books. Could I cast out the demon that was causing him to read these? And I, I thought, yes, come out demon of adolescent boyhood. And I thought, I wanted to say, lady, if I could cast out that demon, I'd be rich. But I'm joking, I'm joking. But at any rate, um, <laughs> so often we attribute all sorts of things to the devil. And, and it's not the devil's fault. It's quite ours. Well, back to the idea of fasting. Why, why fasting? I noticed in exorcisms that a big part of the job of the exorcist was helping a person get free. It was as if you had, and this is, this is probably a very poor analogy, but it's as if you uh, came into a house and the owner of the house was tied up in the basement with duct tape and, and uh, uh, the, the, the robbers were in the house. And the job of the exorcist, in a sense, was to distract the, the, the robbers so that the afflicted person could wriggle free. Hmm? Yeah. And one of the most important prayers in exorcism, believe it or not, is the creed. Because what is the creed? I believe in one God. When I say it, I'm thinking, I'm of the opinion that there's one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's not what the creed means. I believe in one God. If I say to you, I believe that you exist, you'll say, wonderful, Father, I'm glad you're taking your medication. But if I say to you, I believe in you, that's different. When a father says to his son, I believe in you, kid. I remember a, a rector of the seminary. <laughs> uh, I was being critiqued by professors who really realized what a screwball I was. But then this old rector said, Monsignor uh, Lyons, I'll always be grateful to him. He said, you know, I believe in this young man. And when I heard that 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 was so upbuilding. So when I say I believe in you, that's that's something strong. And we don't simply believe that God exists. We believe in him. Remember, tr the word believe means trust. Uh, the devils trust that God exists and they quake, St. James says. But we're believing in God. So the, the point of a very important point in exorcism, I believe, not, reminding you I'm not an exorcist was to get the person afflicted to exercise his free will by trusting in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so that's what this is about. It, Christianity is all about freedom. C.S. Lewis, again, the Screwtape Letters, uh, riffs off the verse in First Peter, that the, I think it's First Peter, that the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Um, is that Peter or James? You could look that up, your voice in my head. But... Um, the devil goes about seeking someone to, it's first ah i was right ah, i still am the reverend know it all first peter the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and c.s lewis in the screw tape letters has 
uh, one Peter five eight. Thank you. Uh, he he has he has the devil say, and you know the screw tape letters is a correspondence between two demons on how to get your man, and he says that the human vermin uh, to us wormwood are uh, to the to the enemy, meaning God. The the human vermin are are beloved, uh, potential sons and daughters. To us, their cattle, food unprepared for the table, the stronger will devouring the weaker. That is the that is the uh, the essence of of the demonic. The stronger will devouring the weaker. That's why there are some sins that cry out to God for justice. Because you see, fasting is an exercise in freedom. The devil wants to devour my freedom. And Christianity is all about freedom, because if I'm not free, I cannot love. If I'm forced to love, well, that's not love. You follow? We have names for that, and people get arrested. So the devil wants to take our freedom so that we cannot be free enough to love. And when I look at a piece of cake and I say, I could eat that cake, but I'm not going to for the sake of the kingdom, I'm not going to eat the cake. It's an exercise in freedom. There is a muscle in our souls that is free. And if we don't exercise that muscle, well, it will atrophy. And when the devil comes along, he will just devour us. We'll be nice and tender and juicy, uh, like Kobe beef, which I've never had. So that's the point. Fasting is an exercise in freedom. When I say no to myself, that's why Jesus says there are some demons cast out only by prayer, and then some texts add, and fasting. Prayer and fasting are very important in demonic warfare because fasting is an exercise in freedom. It strengthens our will and strengthens our ability to choose the right. So fasting isn't about telling God how miserable we are so he better feel sorry for us and give us what we want. No, it's 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 a it's a very very incarnational I mean in the flesh way of um uh doing spiritual warfare. Now let's quickly go to the gospel. The disciples of John approached Jesus and said, "Why do we and the Pharisees fast much, but your disciples do not fast?" That's because they weren't in the warfare yet. Can Jesus answer, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. In other words, Jesus was right there. He could protect them from the devil, but the day was going to come when they would assume the ministry of Christ. Jesus fasted. Think about that. If the Son of God spent all that time in prayer and fasting, how much more should I spend time in prayer and fasting? Now, the Pharisees and the disciples of John seem to have been heroic fasters. You know, we look at other monotheist religions. Uh, uh, they they fast. You know, one one of course has Yom Kippur, and you don't eat or drink anything uh, from one day a year from sundown to sun from sundown to sundown. And uh, also they have a few other fast days that are not as solemn as Yom Kippur, in which they do a total fast. And then other monotheists uh, fast for a month. They eat nothing as long as the sun is up. And uh, uh, that's, that's fasting. We Christians. <laughs> no, we have a very moderate fast. The Catholic fast is to eat one meal a day that has meat, except on Fridays. We abstain from meat, which is another form of fasting, and Ash Wednesday, of course, and Good Friday. But other days we can eat meat once once a day. 
But the two other meals of the day are supposed to be much smaller, essentially snacks, uh, two of them together, not being larger than the main meal. Um, and uh, that main meal can be taken for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, uh, uh, but we don't eat anything solid between. We can drink things, and uh, if your health precludes fasting, then you don't fast. So that's that's our fat. Well, that's not very much, yeah, but fasting is an exercise in freedom. It isn't a heroic suffering. It's an exercise in freedom and should be disciplined and moderate and not damaging to your health. Uh, we, we Catholics fasted fully one third of the year. If you think of every Friday, we fa uh, we abstain from meat, which is a kind of fasting. Uh, we had the simple fast that I just described in Advent and Lent and on the rogation days, uh, we fasted, we, we did some kind of fasting, you know, I should total it up, but I really it's about one third of the year. So, you know, we, we, we made up uh, in quantity what perhaps it, it it lacked in in showiness. The fast isn't showy. It isn't to impress God or to impress other people. And that's what Isaiah is saying. This isn't to impress impress people. And when Jesus says, "Wash your face when you fast and and don't look miserable," uh, he's saying fast isn't isn't a show. It isn't to impress God or people. Believe me, it's very hard to impress God. I've tried. Uh, it's it's a an exercise in freedom. So if people ask you, why do you fast? It's an exercise in freedom. I want to be free. Christianity is all about freedom. I constantly tell you, we are free men and women living in a world of slaves who indulge every passion and so bind themselves nice and tightly so the devil can just squirrel them away when he comes looking for a snack. That said, let us go to a break. We will come back with letters and uh, I will open the phones at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We will be right back. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for Independent Thinkers at RelevantRadio.com forward slash U Dallas. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind. This is Amazing Grace, sung to the tune of the House of the Rising Sun. And this is because Francine sent me a letter about it. And um, you know, I mentioned the other day that, that uh, if you are tired of hearing Amazing Grace, just sing it to the tune of Gilligan's Island, and believe me, the choir director will stop picking it. Just kidding on that. However, I do want to talk about the song Amazing Grace, and I want to take this opportunity to do so, that... Um, the the song Amazing Grace was written by a fellow called John Newton in uh, um, 1779. Well, he, he wrote the words in 1772, and it was published as a hymn with the melody that we mostly know. But it's an amazing story. Uh, 
Newton was a horrible man. He was a slave runner. He was a womanizer, an alcoholic, and just uh, had no religion at all. Uh, he was English and had no religion. Um, I suppose nominally he was uh, Anglican. But uh, he, in 1748, he underwent this amazing conversion because he was uh, um, just off County Donegal in Ireland, and there was a terrible storm. And uh, like Jonah, he was about to drown. And uh, he cried out to God, and because he was saved, he lived up to the deal. Uh, he continued trading in slaves until 1754-45, but... But he couldn't do it. He just couldn't. He became one of the great leaders of the abolitionist movement after he began to study good Christian theology. So he was uh, ordained uh, a priest, an Anglican priest, in 1764. Now, I had heard, now I can't footnote this, but I had heard that he went when he went to the, the pulpit for the first time, um, he was a lay evangelist before he was uh, an Anglican priest. But he, when he went to the pulpit for the first time, I have heard that there was an anonymous letter on the vesting table, you know, the, the, the table where the vestments are laid out, uh, in the sacristy, uh, what they would call the vestry. And uh, this letter said, if you dare go to the pulpit, I will denounce you. I will tell everyone who you are and what you have done. And so Newton, if the story is true, took the letter to the pulpit with him and read it out loud. And he basically said, if God could do this with me, who am so bad... This letter is true. God could do this with me, who am so bad. Think what he could do with you, who are good. And, uh, you know, so many people ask me, well, will my sins be revealed to my relatives at the last judgment? And I don't know. I suspect they will. But but it'll be like that. They'll be, they'll be what formerly were our sins because of God's mercy and forgiveness will be testimonies to the glory of his love. We'll want them known because we'll realize what a beautiful thing is forgiveness is and how much more important it is even than our sins. So thanks, Francine. And with that said, we go to letters. Ah, there it is. This is a fun little one. <laughs> is, this is from Tracy. Is it true that holy water has salt in it? If so, why? Well, because uh, it's a symbol, blessed salt. Uh, there's a beautiful prayer in the old prayers uh, about the, uh, the, it's the exorcism of salt. You cast the devil out of salt. And salt is a biblical, um, you know, when, when I say take it with a grain of salt, the, the reason is that there was a belief in the, in the ancient world that salt was an antidote to poison. I don't think it is, but that was what was the, that was the thought. And uh, salt is, is very important in the human diet. If you have no salt, you will bleed to death. I think that's the symptom. Uh, so salt and salt preserves uh, um, meat. I, I remember I was in Puerto Rico once and there was a big bucket of pieces of pork and pork skin on the kitchen table. And I thought, that's pretty gross. And the next day I saw on the kitchen table in this little house in Jabucoa, I saw the same bucket and the third day the same bucket and i said to the lady of the house isn't that going to rot sitting up and she laughed and said no 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 it's salted and of course then she fried some up and uh <laughs> oh, it was wonderful they were uh what are they i can't think of the spanish name for them fried pig skins i'll get it it will come to me uh, uh chicharrones oh gosh chicharrones are amazing but i digress as always uh so 
you know, the, the ancients thought that the salt had something in common with the soul. Uh, because as long as the soul is in the body, the flesh does not rot. When you take the the, the breath, the spirit, and the so, thus the soul out of the body, the flesh rots. And that's why Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Without you, life is tasteless. Without you, it, it will rot. That is, if you are living up to your vocation to be salt and light. So that's the symbol of salt. And once again, the devil is a very good lawyer. And the salt, blessed and exercised by the priest, reminds the devil that Christ is still alive in and through his church uh, in the world and uh, better not touch. So holy water is a very efficacious thing. It is not magic. It is holy water and salt, blessed salt. These are words to the devil. These are prophetic statements that are used in, in warfare. If you are surrounding your house with blessed salt and sprinkling everything with holy water and at the same time uh, robbing banks and uh, and beating people up, uh, you're letting the devil in another way. The, the blessed salt and the holy water won't help at all if you are choosing a life of sin. They are not magic, but they are powerful words spoken to the enemy. All right, let's see here. Uh, this is uh, um, this is kind of a tough one. Um, uh, oh, did I? Oh, did I remember? Oh, dear! I think I lost the the citation, but I'll find it again. Uh, um, can can uh, uh, non-Catholics read um, at, at at mass? This is someone um, who I doesn't want to give their name because, of course, there's going to be all sorts of unpleasantness. I attend a Catholic high school and we have an all-school mass once a month. At these masses, students are lectures for the first and second readings. There are some non-Catholic students who attend our school. Occasionally, I've noticed a non-Catholic student is chosen to be a lector. Is this allowed? And it's a, a rather complicated answer. Let me let me pull it up. I pulled it up and somehow my computer ate it, but I'll find it again. Can a non Catholic be a it's a complicated answer so uh, I'll find it right away let's see here all right all right I got it I got it I got it all right let's see non-catholics doing readings there is a document um, that is titled it's it's a rather uh, uh, obscure title directory for the application of principles and norms on ecumenism just in case you want to look that up I will give it to you again directory for the application of principles and norms on ecumenism it's published by the committee on ecumenism in the Vatican and in paragraph 133 it says the reading of scripture during a Eucharistic celebration in the Catholic Church is to be done by members of that church on exceptional occasions and for a just cause the bishop of the diocese may permit a member of another church or ecclesial community to take on the task of a reader now this is during mass there is an, another exception at a funeral uh, or a wedding a non-catholic may read with the permission of the pastor so i guess the answer to your question is no um you know, I don't know how big a deal I would make of it. Um, uh, but strictly speaking, that's the rule. And, well, rules are there for a reason. So 
Uh, you're, the answer is no. Uh, a Catholic uh, should be reading because you see, the readings. We look at the readings as not an essential part of the mass. That isn't the Catholic part. It most certainly is. That the readings are about our conversation with God, and they're an integral preparation for the reception of of the Holy Eucharist. So they aren't divorced from the Holy Eucharist. And if a person isn't in communion, well, then, you know, they probably shouldn't read. Now, I don't think it's the end of the world that someone's reading. But on the other hand, the rule says no. And I, uh, so you ask a question, you're going to get the best answer I can give you. Mm, what are you going to do? So let's see. Let me look at my time here. I mean, let me do one more letter here for the fun of it. Okay. Uh, this is uh, another anonymous person. My British pen pal. Oh, the, the, you have a, that must be difficult. They speak English in Britain, unlike in, in Chicago. My Brit, we speak Chicago and Damer. Okay, my British pen pal is a practicing member of the Church of England. I was surprised to hear from her that they believe in an intercession of saints and that their parish includes a few Anglican nuns who pray the rosary daily. These are high church Anglicans. That's the interesting thing about the Anglican church, that there are different shades of Anglican. John Wesley, and who was the founder of Methodism, and John Newton were pretty much Anglican high church priests. Uh, you know, a low church would call himself, probably wouldn't call himself a priest. They'd call himself a minister. And so it gets a little confusing. And the worry at the current time, I'll be quite frank about this, is that we might break into high church and low church. And that's part of the the unpleasantness that we're experiencing. And, you know, we, I really believe that, that uh, the, the diversity in liturgy is not a bad thing within appropriate guidelines and uh, uh i i think that that um, above all um for the unity of a diocese you obey the bishop however church of england yes they do believe the high church uh, anglicans pretty much believe what we believe except uh <laughs> the pope so uh um, there's so many shades and we don't want to do that in the catholic church i don't think i think we want to have a, a basic agreement about certain things moving along i i hope i haven't been inaccurate let's let's take a break and i'll come back with a word of the day one which i find utterly fascinating but then again I find them all fascinating. And 888-914-9149. Battling addictions? Our sponsor, St. Gregory Recovery Center, can help you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at relevantradio.com slash Gregory. That's relevantradio.com slash Gregory. I love this piece of music. It's called Nessun Dorma. And it means nobody sleep. And I mean it just because it's after lunch. 
I'll give you a demerit. Oh, I'm lapsing back into my professorial days. I, speaking of ecumenism and Episcopalians, I've got a joke, which I hope is not offensive, but, well, we'll find out, won't we? It's, uh, you know, I, I love Episcopalians and Anglicans and, and, um, and Presbyterians. They are delightful people. So i got to tell this joke. Well, this person's being given a Dante-esque tour of hell, and the angel shows him a pit of people who are being tortured in fire. And he says, O oh, angel, who are these who suffer? These are Catholics who ate meat on Friday before the Second Vatican Council. The next pit, people are being tortured with little pitchforks and, and by these little imps. Who are these who suffer, O oh, angel? These are Baptists who danced. The third pit, it, it's fire and pitchforks. Who are these who suffer most of all, angel? These are high church Episcopalians and high church Presbyterians who ate their salad with their dessert fork. I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, if you paid more attention, you would. I think it's funny. All right, moving along. Let's go to the word of the day. Oh, the word of the day. In the first reading, we read out. Uh, we read. Uh, the, the, let me see. That's that's the wrong day. I got to go to the today. If today you know where you are, keep your place. Okay, no, this Friday after Ash Wednesday, the first reading says, cry out full-throated and unsparingly. That was kind of one of the things that inspired, of course, Nessandoro by Lucio Pavarotti. Talk about full-throated. Uh, let's move along here. So the word, the word full-throated, it really means, it says, cry out uh, from the throat, or actually in the throat, bagarol. In other words, cry out from way down deep. Uh, that's that's kind of I think that's kind of interesting. That uh, a, a cry from the throat. That's that's not something you can just sort of make up. But it says cry from the throat and not 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 uh, what would the word mean? Not not refraining. Uh, uh, like a trumpet, you know, that, that this is supposed to come from way down deep. Uh, and I, I think that's very interesting. You know, people wonder, why should we sing in church? Well, um, have you ever thought about it that I'm always telling you that the body is sacred and that, that, you know, that, that I am, uh, my interpretation of it, at least at this point is I am a living, breathing spirit manifested in an immortal soul and a mortal body so my body really is me and you know when you when you sing from the diaphragm when you when you talk you're talking from the head but when you sing you got to use your diaphragm which is way down there you're you're reaching into the very depth of your even your body as well as your soul and um <laughs> I'd like the, the note maybe I should sing this in Dorma one day but that's what this text is saying you know, cry out from deep inside you and not, and, and don't be sparing. Be like a trumpet. So, you know, that's, that's, um, so sing in church, <laughs> I suppose. Okay, that said, who do, let's go to phone calls. There is something the matter with your phone. There's nothing the matter with my phone. Who's on the line? 
Betty from Miami. How are you doing, Betty? What can I do this for you? This is an honor. This is an honor. Thank you. Thank well, you thank you. It is an honor for me to talk to you, too. <laughs> and you are what hilarious. Can I do? You're hilarious. Oh, bless you. Tell my closest friends that. I have a very dear Father Brank. I say, Father Tony, you want to hear a joke? He says, no, I don't. So at any rate, I call him humor impaired, but he's not really. All right. And my secretary, I said, you never laugh at my jokes. She says, that's because they're not funny. All right, moving along, Betty. What can I do for you? Well, I just wanted your 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 advice, your spiritual advice, because they they fired my husband yesterday from work. Him and the director, Ooh. and he's been there thirty one years, and he's Ooh. a worker. He's very sad, and he's been mm -hmm. very good to yeah. all the employees. The employees were crying, you know, and and you know you're supposed to leave at five, and he leaves at seven thirty every day, and he donates his vacations many times. Not many times, but he's done it done it once or twice. To people that are ill and uh, mm -hmm. he's helped everyone and uh, just your advice well this is going to sound for no reason at all but no, no administration you know for no reason yep no i this is going to sound odd you and he should start thanking god that he was fired you and he should start thanking god that he was fired okay. thank you lord that i was fired what and what do you have for me now i have a feeling he is going to find work uh without much problem um, I mean, a valuable employee, you know, the market is, uh, is, is pretty hot right now. Uh, and well, it's employment. time for him to retire, but, but he doesn't want to retire, oh. you know? He doesn't oh, well then, then, oh, well, you know, it's, it's okay for him to retire. Maybe this is what the Lord wants, but I really mean that he should thank God for this. Who knows what, what bullet he just dodged? You know, there's a new administration. They might have asked him to do something immoral. Uh, who knows? I mean, he worked for a company for a long time that he knew and trusted and was an integral part of. And who knows what the Lord is sparing him from. You know, when when I look back from God's throne, God willing, I stand before it in grace. When I look back and you look back from God's throne, we are going to thank God more for the prayers he didn't answer the way we wanted than the prayers that he did. It's like if I had gotten what I wanted... I w it would have been a disaster. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't answer the prayer the way I wanted you to. You see, God always answers prayers. He just answers them uh, better than we can ask. But I, I really would, would do that spiritually uh, as a kind of a tool against the devil and a tool against d discouragement. Uh, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but thank you that I lost that job. Amen. So does that help a little, Betty? Yes, yes. Yes, thank you. It's yes. it's not easy. And also, I wanted you to, to go on to pray for my neighbors, Jimmy and Joey. Jimmy was going to be a priest, and he uh, re you remind me of him a little bit, but but he <laughs> fell he fell out of out of the good way. But um, uh, anyway, and Jimmy and Joey, if you can pray for them both, I will. I'll remember them in mass. All right, good to talk to you, Betty, and uh, well. It's getting warm down there, isn't it? Miami. I, I got to get down there some year. All right. God bless. We'll talk to you soon. Who do we have now? Nathaniel from Lewis, Colorado, another beautiful part of the country. Nathaniel, what can I hey. do for you? Well, Father, I have a quick question and a quick joke, but I'll do the question first. Uh, okay. so, the joke like is decent, that, right? Oh, oh, it's wonderful. It's told me by a priest, so we're good. Oh, but, well, uh, uh, we're hoping. <laughs> yeah. Your so, turn, your turn. Mass, like I, I've noticed like there's a lot of people in our parish that when the priest walks up, you know, and processes going up to the altar, 
they turn and they face him, but then they all bow as he walks by. And then at the end of Mass, people turn and they bow as he walks by. And I just stand there because I, I don't know, I'm facing the tabernacle, and I just didn't know sure. what to take of that. Well, maybe is he a very unattractive man? Maybe they're averting their eyes. Did you, did you ever hear <laughs> Abraham Lincoln was, was on a train once, and a woman said, Sir, you are the ugliest man I've ever seen. And he said, I, can, I can't do anything about it. And she said, Well, at least you could stay home. I'm joking. I'm joking. But, uh, um, you know, I, I think it may be a Spanish custom, because uh, I know a number of my Hispanic, uh, especially the Cubans, some of them, when I pass by, they turn. I'm no longer a pastor. I'm retired. But they would cross themselves and bow. I wonder if it isn't an Hispanic custom. Are these a lot of Latinos in your parish, perhaps? Yeah, we've we've got a pretty good Spanish population down. Yeah, there. yeah. In Colorado, they, you would. And uh, the, the 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 Spanish of Colorado are very interesting group. They call themselves the Españoles, and they've been there since long before the country was formed. I remember meeting a, a person from Albuquerque, the, the sister-in-law of, of my college dean, and I said, oh, how long has your country been in this family been in, in, in the States? And she said, we think since about 1609. <laughs> so embarrassed, but, you know, so it may be a custom local to, to the Hispanics of your community. I don't know. That, that would be my guess. So, your joke. What's your joke? So, uh, Jesus is out there, and they're, they take this woman to him, and they're getting ready to stone her. And Jesus says, okay, fine. Who, those of you without sin cast the first stone. And then all of a sudden this rock goes flying by and breaks against the wall. And then Jesus is like, Mom! <laughs> that is a Catholic joke. I've heard that one. I'm sure the Blessed Mother has a sense of humor and won't smite us. So there you go. All right, Lord, be merciful. All right, and we love your mother. At Relevant Radio, that's one thing we really do. She, I, You know, it's funny. In my life, I was raised with a devotion to the Blessed Mother. Then I got into the seminary, and um, um, lo and behold, that got kind of encouraged out of me and through the hispanic community i regained a great love for the blessed mother and the older i get the more i love her it, it's really you know you can't have a family without a mother and uh, the church is supposed to be a family so at any rate well thanks for the call whom do we have now dear voice in my head debbie from longwood florida what can i do for you hi father thanks for taking my call i learn from you every day well, God I bless lost you. My remember take it with a grain of salt though <laughs> you know, I, I speculate. Yeah. You speculate. <laughs> um, Go on. January 21st of this year, I lost my oh, husband so sorry. Um, from COVID, and it was, of course, oh, not expected. Oh. Yeah. And so, uh, needless to say, I'm struggling quite a bit. Oh, gosh. But yeah. I have five grown children that are just brokenhearted, and... So it hasn't even been two months, but I just wanted your input on how to help them and how to help myself. All right. I've got something that might help. Do your kids go to Mass? Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, um, uh, we believe that there is only one Mass in history. There's only one Mass. That For God, right. all places are here, all times are now. And at the exact same moment, we are standing at the foot of the cross in Calvary. We are at the Last Supper. We are at Emmaus, and we are at the, the, the Lamb's Supper at the end of time. 
It's all one moment for God, and it is the Mass. And so when I go to Mass, my mother and father, whom I dearly loved and miss much, they're there. In fact, is I I had a power. I, I'm not that mystical, but I had a powerful experience at my niece's uh, confirmation. I was celebrating, and I was sitting in a kind of a side pew, and I really felt, you know, her her grandfather, my brother's dead, and uh, you know, and my mom and dad. It just felt powerfully like they were there, you know. Mm. Uh, it was such a palpable experience. I, I'm almost ready to weep. But whenever you go to Mass, your husband is there. He's at that Mass. And everyone you love who died in the Lord is there. If he died in the Lord, you can count on yes, his being did. at the next Mass you go to. And, and mm -hmm. you know, that, that Mass is a time machine that takes us back to Calvary and forward to the end of time. And it is, it is the wonderful, wonderful moment in which we can be with the Lord and with those whom we love who've gone before us. And that's been my experience. So I hope that, that that's consoling to you. Uh, you know, that, that uh, I'm so sorry for your loss. But on the other hand, you, the best part you haven't lost. The best part is still there. And one more thing that, um, you know, I, I, oh dear, this is a little personal. <laughs> oh, well, what, what, why not? This is my third day in the row, in a row sharing something a little too personal, but, uh, doesn't hurt. The, um, I, you know, I'm from a German background, and we're very stoic. Yeah, you, we, you don't cry at the wake. You've got to be strong. And so then mm -hmm. we end up grieving months later, <laughs> and miserably and alone. Well, I, I, when my mom died, my mom was easily the kindest human being I've ever met. My dad was a saint, but my mom was a saint and really kind. And uh, um, people used to come up to me years after I, I she died and say, you're Helen Simon's son. I mean, I was identified by being this woman. She was she was just an impressive woman. So I missed her greatly. And I, when my mom died, I would wake up in a cold sweat, having a nightmare that she wasn't dead, that she had abandoned us, and was living in a halfway house in California and refused to admit that we existed, and my sister and I were going to go out and find her. It was horrible. And... But the Lord really spoke to me in that. The Lord reminded me that there's something worse than death. Abandonment. You had a husband who loved you to the end. And even death can't take that away. Even death can't take that away. And they had a father who loved them. And whom they loved. And even death can't take that truth away. So you can be with those you love by going to Mass. And even death cannot take the treasure of love away. It may hurt but it, love cannot, that's what the Song of Songs says, that, that, that death cannot destroy love. It's stronger than the underworld. So I hope that helps a little, and I will certainly remember your husband at Mass. So, Absolutely, Father. His name was Robert. Robert. I will certainly pray for Robert in my next Mass. God bless you. And it's, it's, it's a real, it's a tough, tough thing. But, you know, another thing about uh, when, I, when I have done uh, funerals for, for people who are older, and uh, the grieving widow or widower is sitting there in the front pew, um, and they've loved each other and, and, and struggled to be faithful over the years, I always start the funeral mass out with congratulating them, because this was the day on their wedding that they, that they prepared for. Their wedding was about this day, until death do us part. 
Now, of course, we don't want to mention death because that's nasty. So we say all the days of our life, like some stupid soap opera. But I still say till death do us part. Because that's what you're doing. You're promising to love one another as long as you're both in this world. And trust me, you will love one another eternally after that. But um, that, that, that um, you know, even death cannot take, cannot kill love. All right, whom do we have now, dear voice in my head? We got about a minute, Marion. What can I do for you? Oh, Father, it's so nice to talk to you. I met you at Jacob Moore's uh, wedding. He was my grandson. Oh, Jake Moore. Oh, wasn't that a beautiful wedding? Jake Moore's what grandma. A great wedding. Oh, wasn't that beautiful? Oh, yeah. Um, it was lovely. I have one quick question. <laughs> yes. I, I have never been to one like that reception. Oh, yeah, where he, he uh, uh, washed his bride's uh, feet. Yes. Oh, it was beautiful. I have never yes, seen I, I thought he was going to do the garter thing, and I thought, oh gosh, the garter thing. Not and, Jake. and he did not, not do the garter thing. <laughs> he washed, yes. Jake Jake was one of our former producers. He's moved on. Oh, we got 40 seconds. What's your question? What's your question? Oh, my, I want to know about rogation days. I, I, I used to do ember days a long time ago. Oh, rogation days and ember days. You can still you, you can still do them. They they sort of went by the board uh, uh, because we're urban well, and right. and modern, but they right. were prayers for good harvest and good planting, as I recall them. Uh, uh, the, the rogation means petition. They were days of petition, and so while well, in speaking of petition, Drew is coming up, and uh, that Divine Mercy Chaplet, uh, we got lots of rogation going on there. So don't go nowhere. <laughs> 